you are the leader of your business. You're the leader of your clients and your team and probably an inspiration to many more than you might realize. Yet perhaps that is a role or a position that you'd perhaps shy away from, or perhaps it's a label that doesn't feel comfortable to you because, well, what exactly does it mean? Being the boss, maybe being a decision maker, probably being an inspiration. Yes, absolutely. I'm joined today by leadership coach, Tina Joseph, and we're diving into the details of what it means to be a leader in today's world and how you can create an environment that supports the business that you want. Well, hi there. I'm Sarah Glanfield. I'm a business and marketing strategist just for boutique fitness studio owners like you. If you're ready to be inspired and make a bigger impact, you're in the right place. All you need are a few key strategies, the right mindset, and some support along the way. Join me as I share the real-life insights that will help you grow a sustainable and profitable studio. This is the Pilates Business Podcast. Welcome back to the Pilates Business Podcast. I'm Saran. Thank you so much for joining me today. Now, as we head into the end of the year, there is a lot of chatter about what next year will look like. And I do my fair share of talking about goals and targets and plans for sure. But a major factor that is often overlooked when we have these conversations are the skills that you might need to develop or learn to move your business forward. And one of the most important skills is the ability to lead others effectively. You can only do so much on your own in your business. So I invited expert leadership coach, Tina Joseph here with me onto the podcast today to talk about this exact topic. Welcome, Tina. Hi, thank you for having me. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. So Tina focuses on um, equipping new managers um, with the type of leadership skills that they need to really transition from being um, an expert in their field to being someone that leads others. And Tina has um, come into my Thrive Group coaching program and has shared a lot of her incredible insights with them. And I know that so many of you might also appreciate hearing a little bit about what um, Tina does and um, the type of work she does to help and support small business owners to become leaders. So Tina, do you want to tell us a little bit more about the work that you do with small business owners? Yeah, thanks. Um, Yeah. So I am, like you said, a leadership coach and I've been working with, you know, big corporations for the last 25 years, but also a lot of small businesses. And one of the things that I've noticed is that a lot of small business owners are really wearing so many different hats as they're starting to really grow that business. And they're really great at getting to a certain point, but then they realize that once they start to hire people, bring more people on board to help build that particular business, that's where like things start to kind of unravel for them, right? And so it becomes harder to figure out how to lead people, how to manage people, how to keep people happy and retained and getting the work that they need done. So one of the big things I notice is that a lot of people find like they're scared to even take a vacation or a break. They're worried even about getting sick. Like what would happen, right? If they stepped out of 
of that world for even a little bit, which is a lot of pressure to put on yourself. Um, and then there's also the, you know, really not knowing maybe even who their business needs in order to get to the next level and like what kind of help outside of the whole virtual assistant and administrative world, right? We're now talking about you're getting to the level where you need leaders, perhaps leading people, right? So leaders leading leaders or leaders leading people uh, underneath you to make this work. And so like there's the this, this sense of being out of their depth when they get there. Um, and another big thing is just if they are in a world where they are hiring people, it's about retaining those people and then building a culture that makes um, you a company that people want to work for and that you're really proud of. So you're starting to build a whole different environment. And so those are kind of the struggles that I see um, a lot of small business owners with right now or challenges that they have. And I kind of help step in and really become like a right hand person for them to advise on like how to get to that next step, what structures and, and processes need to be in place. But more importantly, what skill sets either you or your organizations need to kind of learn to get there. Right. And it's, and it evolves, you know, as your business grows, a lot of um, the skills that are needed as the business owner will evolve. And many, you know, studio owners come into this um, as a teacher and um, work in one or two or three or or many studios. um, And then, transition often into becoming a studio owner themselves, um, either by starting their own studio or by buying an, uh, another studio. And that means that they of- often will find themselves going from that position of being a colleague um, to being a position of being um, the boss. And that I think is one of like the very first hurdles um, that that studio owners and any small business owner really has to overcome and doing that in a way that feels good to them is a real challenge. And it's just, I see the, the sort of internal sort of conflict and fight that happens in that place where you, you, you need to be asking people to do things and because you don't want to be that person, perhaps, um, that we tend to shy away from it and we end up doing a lot of things ourselves that we perhaps should be delegating. Is that something that you see happen a lot? Yeah, I think the first thing is that it's like all around, like, what is the definition of leadership? Like, what is a leader, right? And it really is simple. It's like a leader is somebody who leads people or cultures or, you know, systems, whatever it might be from point A to point B or Z. Um, I'm Canadian. So, (laughs) so Um, you know, and, and then underneath that is like, you get to do all the good stuff, which is define what kind of leader you want to be. Um, and that's where I like to teach that value-based leadership, which we did with your group. And, um, that's really good because it's just something that's so authentic to, it's an authentic leadership style where you just get to embrace those values, right. Uh, that you have, and then be able to articulate that into a company culture that everybody can get on board with, um, but then allows you to lead from that place again, authentically. So it doesn't feel like you're copycatting somebody else because we might not have had, you know, great examples of, of leadership in our, in our own past. So, 
So carving our own way is a good one. But that's like what I see as the first step is that you have to understand what a leader is. And then you got to go in and you got to own it. You do have to like step into the fact that you're either in this leadership role or CEO role. And that means that there's a responsibility that comes with all of that and getting from people from point A to point B, right? Um, And you have a responsibility to do that the best way you possibly can. And um, so that's where I think um, I see a lot of people kind of struggling is just, what is it? And like, then what am I supposed to be showing up as, as the first step, right? Yeah. And I think it's very hard, like you said, if you haven't had role models um, around you, or if you've never been exposed to good leadership, um, it is very, I, I think it'd be very challenging to, to try to see to try to understand or try to, to, um, or to know what, what may, what, you, what to do or what not to do. And I think it sometimes, if you've been exposed to, to poor leaders, um, if you've worked for someone who perhaps wasn't a supportive manager or wasn't, um, uh, didn't support you in your career or perhaps, um, wasn't respectful or, you know, that you, you may not, you may also learn by what not to do. Um, but then you're still perhaps figuring out perhaps what is the best way for you to do what you want to do and what you want to achieve for your business. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and you know, this isn't just a small business problem. This is, you know, I, I myself um, grew up in the leadership space, uh, leading teams and advancing my career. And never once was I given a leadership course or training. Like it was always about modeling who you'd seen. And, you know, if you, unfortunately, that that can end up working really poorly uh, in terms of that maybe toxic leadership, you know, and building those kind of cultures that aren't great for employees or for you. So, yeah, unfortunately, it's not anyone's fault, I think. It's just that the industry itself is maturing. And now this concept of having a responsibility to your people um, is, is, is one that companies are starting to embrace and now really formalize that, hey, leadership is a competency that we need in our organizations. And so um, now they're starting to really uh, provide that to people. Right, right. So obviously, you know, there's just the, the kind of the ma- major sort of responsibility as a leader, especially if you're a growing studio business, is one of hiring and managing a, a, a high-performing team. Right. And perhaps many studio owners have um, hired out of demand or have perhaps even inherited teachers from prior owners um, and are figuring out how to manage different personality types and so on. Um, how do you help and support small business owners who are perhaps figuring out who to hire and what to hire for in their business? Yeah. So, that is actually kind of comes from the organizational development space where really um, you need to know kind of where it is you're going. So you know what your business goals are. And then we kind of draw out what kind of org chart will get you there and what kind of, because based on what those goals are, you know, whether it's like you said, opening up multiple locations, maybe adding a new service. Uh, a new model of some sort, like it all depends on what that is, right? But then you kind of draw the org chart that goes along with it. 
And then you kind of put um, labels on the different roles that you need, and then you kind of map that out. So that kind of is the first thing around who to hire is to know what it is you're hiring for. The next level is, again, like based on that culture that you're trying to create, um, you're then going to look at, you know, the kind of this is around the soft skills and, and the cultural pieces. So like, what kind of environment am I trying to create? Um, what type of uh, personalities do I want um, in my organization and, and what's going to work well, right? So that's a lot of and there's so many good tools out there that we can use to help define that. And even when you go into the recruiting process, have people take some of these assessments so you can see where they land, you know, in in your um, in that. So you know how to work with them or to see if they're the right personality for that thing seat that you're trying to fill. Right. Like you might not need a touchy feely emotional person in somebody that's like in a accounting role, right? Or on like a legal team, you might not need that, right? But definitely you will in customer service, right? So it's like about matching, not only like your culture in terms of, you know, I, I really want a space where teamwork uh, and collaboration is, is really important to me. So I want people that like to maybe they're introverts, but they still liked being around people. Like that's what you kind of want to draw out. Right. But then there's the whole, there's hard skill sets and then there's soft skill sets and personalities that you're trying to match as well. So I think for the, who you need to hire, those are probably two really good first steps to take. Yeah, absolutely. And so do you routinely use personality tests when you're hiring? Yeah. Well, for myself, um, I definitely do, but I use right now like the Clifton uh-huh, Strike yep. Finder one. Yep. Um, but I find that it really depends on the leader and what it is they're looking for. So some like Enneagram has been really popular, um, but that one's a little harder. I'll be honest with you. That tells you how to work with somebody. I'm not sure it's like easily mapped into the whole what competency is needed for this particular job, but, um, but I'm sure it could be worked with, but yeah, I love using assessments, but I try to match it to the company and the leader. Right. Right. There's so many out there. There's a few others, isn't there? Myers-Briggs is another. Myers-Briggs. Um, uh, there's like EQ ones, um, which is with Myers-Briggs. Um, there's also like leadership assessments you can do like disc and, Oh, that's it. Um, disc, yes. Yeah. There's just, I mean, seriously, there's probably thousands. <laughs> yes, yeah. there are a lot, <laughs> but the key is to match it to the role that you're looking to hire for. Otherwise it's kind of worthless, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The role and the culture. I think the right. culture is really important. Like, do you have a vision for how you want to feel when you show up at work every day? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. that's the team that um, you're trying to build. And so the cultural fit of a person often is harder to hire for than um, a skill fit. Yes. How do you, when you, I mean, presumably during the interview process and the application process, you're looking for that. And what, how do you, what questions, is there particular questions you'd like to ask? Or is it more of a feel? How do you measure? How do you discover what, whether, how do you try to uncover, I should say, whether or not someone will be a, a good fit culturally? Yeah. I think like 
When you're writing that job description, write it in a way that really attracts the type of person you're looking for and repels the one that you don't. Like that's probably the first level. Um, so I think a person who comes to mind that writes really like Amy Porterfield writes amazing job descriptions for that, like as an example. Um, and then I think the next thing is if you have an assessment that you can do, that would be great to see again, if you've, um, you know, created and you had certain competencies and cultural norms that you want to draw out there, have that in there. And that'll tell you where they are on that scale. And then when you're interviewing, there are certain types of questions. They're called situational questions that you can ask to see how they would act in that particular scenario. So you put scenarios in front of them and see how they can answer. Now, reading those, and again, people can show up really strong in an interview, right? And yes. it might still not uh, be <laughs> no a good out. fit, which <laughs> yeah. is why like probation is there. But also really like when you're first onboarding that person, and we can talk a little bit about this um, when we talk about like reward and recognition and, and the motivating employees uh, a little bit more, but it's about like really letting people know what the expectations are, not just yes. of the job, but how they're going to show up and how they win with you. Yes. Yes. And if you do that really well, then you're going to know within a couple of months, which is can be your probation period, whether or not they're going to fit. Right. Yeah. I think often, you know, if, if, if there is a, a bit of a miscommunication between, you know, a studio owner and their team, um, when it comes to those expectations and, if they're not shared and communicated effectively, then you're not, you're, you know, you'll find that, that folks end up on different pages and that can cause a lot of tension and frustrations. And I think sometimes it's about figuring out or perhaps implementing a routine or a structure or a system that allows the studio owner and the, and the team member to be able to communicate easily and effectively. Because if you're in a, if you're a studio owner and you've got teachers that come in and out of the studio during the hours that they have, they have, you've, you've hired them to work and the hours they have designed perhaps even for themselves, you know, there is often not an opportunity to, to communicate anything around the operations of the studio, what's expected or required or needed. Um, and it's, it can be challenging to get everyone to a team meeting. Um, there's, and so you end up in a situation where you can be kind of sort of ships passing in the night and, so setting up those opportunities for checking in communication. And obviously, you know, that starts with fantastic onboarding, but even on an ongoing basis, having those check-ins um, that might feel a little bit corporate, but actually end up creating these sort of, it doesn't have to be hour long meetings. It can be a 15 minute coffee just to check in and make sure is everyone's happy, right? Exactly. No. And I actually, I did put together a little guide on 15 minute one-on-ones because I agree with you, it really is just about connection more than it is like, um, you know, usually most anything, any performance issue you're going to have is almost always behavioral or this cultural thing than it is about skill set. And so you having like a way to connect with somebody gives you an opportunity to not only check in where they are, but also like do that, that human connection piece, right? Which is remembering we're all people, 
they need an anchor into the organization and you are that anchor. So you're having that conversation, but also like spending less time on the work in that conversation and more time on them. And so knowing like I have buckets of like uh, topics that you can cover if like you're out of your depth in that so that you can really, you know, use that 15 minutes to build my, in my mind, the most important thing, which is trust and connection. You can use all hands on deck meetings to give like, this is what we need to do. This is how it has to happen. This is when it has to happen. You can use memos for those types of things, right? So you can use your Slack channel for those kind of things and get them to sign and acknowledge that they've read it. That's great. But like this, what makes all of that work even better is when you have these one-on-ones, you know, um, and a way for them to know that they always have access to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. Or their leadership team. Yes, absolutely. So we touched on this a little bit and a big part of these anchor points, these check-ins is, is, is encourage is in keeping connected with the team, but also making sure and helping to perhaps support motivation, um, within the team and creating that culture of, um, commitment and focus and success and dedication to this, the, to the studio business and to its culture. Um, and, you know, I think we, something we touched on earlier, but the, um, traditional, sort of incentivize monetarily with per head bonuses or, um, commission type, um, bonuses, um, is not always as effective as we would like it to be. Right. Um, so what's your sort of perspective on how to keep a team motivated and is money a good way to do it? Yeah. I mean, listen, money is so required, right? That there's no way, but, but it's not a differentiator anymore. So I think it's, um, is it a human motivator? I don't know, but it can definitely be a demotivator. So what I mean is that people are, if money is the only thing they're going to jump ship. Right. And, and so it's not necessarily something that we can take out of the equation, but I think we can layer a lot more onto it. And one of the big things is that um, we were talking about how when I was in corporate, um, it's called a performance management um, system, right? And you have performance appraisals. And if you, you're put on a performance management plan, if like you're being coached or um, you're being, uh, some of your skills are being assessed or managed. And um, all of that is like one way to look at it. The new way that they're looking at it is to call it a success management system. And they're looking at the assessments as contribution assessments. So what that does is it kind of just changes the whole thing from performance to contributions. It's just like, it's positive. I don't think it's fluff because what it does is it actually positions your employees to participate with you on where the company is going. And it puts that ownership um, into their hands. So absolutely, you need like, don't get it wrong, you need money, you need incentive plans, um, you need raises, uh, and you need a business that can successfully uh, give your employees that. They also need job descriptions that are very clear, 
They need performance metrics and scorecards so they know where they are and you know where they are. And they absolutely need um, career um, paths within your organization. Um, And then the other piece of it, though, is really opening it up to them in terms of what it is they can offer. And especially with this new, newer generation or the next generation of workers, they are going to contribute in ways that we never would have imagined. Um, and, you know, we have to kind of create space for that. And so when you have a conversation mid-year, end-year, however often you're doing it, where you're like, all right, let's talk about your contributions to the organization, that really puts a little bit more on them. It's not all on you in terms of where they're going. You're offering guidance and a framework, and now they have to come in and kind of fulfill it um, and take part of it. But I think it's a win-win for both the employee who is wanting to step up from um, an ownership uh, perspective And then there is um, a win for the organization and the leaders themselves in terms of really maximizing and leveraging the strength of the talent that's within your organization. You know, I like like as a business owner, when you wore many hats, your people are likely you're probably attracting the many hat wearer too. Yeah. Yeah. So they can switch. Yeah. That's really interesting. So shifting from focusing on the performance as it were and often that is really means what people aren't doing right (laughs) that's where the holes are um but instead focusing on the what what they are contributing as as a mindset shift really and and also a shift in the way that you possibly hire people and and I'm, I'm imagining that in order to be able to cultivate that a culture where people are contributing, it starts with the type of people that you hire and it feeds in through the onboarding process where you're talking about this often. And then you're feeding this through those one-on-one check-ins and you're open. And you said something really interesting about how um, to create space for that. Because again, if your ship's passing in the night with your team, you're not allowing or facilitating the ability for anyone to perhaps contribute a great idea. Um, and so how, how do you see small businesses sort of encouraging that? And how, how do you handle that as a manager if people are coming to you with, with ideas constantly or great ideas or, or what does that look like? Yeah. So this is where the other part that I get really excited about is coaching. So I think that is like the superstar leadership competency that I like to see and help build organizations you know, build that skill set out in their organization, specifically their leaders, for their leaders to wear that coaching hat. And, you know, for probably uh, fitness owners, this isn't going to be a stretch, right? Because they are usually there motivating and coaching people already. When it comes to taking that idea, it's around working with that employee on what that actually looks like. And then Coaching is really a series of open-ended questions that you're asking that puts it back on their plate to come up with the solution. And once somebody comes up with their own self-directed solution, of which you get to gatekeeper, like the reality of it, right? Uh, So it's got to be realistic uh, as a solution and impactful uh, to your organization and the clients you serve. 
But once that is, then like it's it's about giving them and coaching them to the plan that gets them to the finish line. And then they get to show up and show you that contribution, right? So coaching and learning how to have coaching conversations is the next level, I think, that takes this. How do you, what do you do with all these ideas? Because a lot of owners will be like, oh, I don't have time to do this. Like, what the heck, right? Great. But now it's back on me again, and I'm the bottleneck. No, you got to create a culture of coaching and then accountability. And I believe that people are more accountable when they feel like they came up with the solution. Um, and, you know, you also mentioned something else. I see a lot of organizations like that give, and I've heard this so many times, like people have these checklists that they, you know, check off that they have to do X, Y, and Z and blah, blah, blah. And they're still not even doing the checklist. So like what, and I think it's like something around that is closing us off. Like it is just like turning off people's brains. Like, so, so there's something in between. I don't quite have the answer yet because I think it's going to differ from every organization or for every culture. But there's something there that like if we almost spell things out too much, we shut people down. Like we shut that creativity and, and ownership down. So when we are thinking of that recognition and reward system, it's not about performance. It really is about contribution because you've shown them where you're going. And they're helping you become like little mini visionaries in your business that kind of help you get there. And when you treat people like that, they're going to be inspired to do more. But if they're just showing up for a job and a paycheck, because that's the way your system's laid out, that's all they're going to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this was a fascinating conversation. I could keep talking with you about this for hours. So I have to say you've shared such an incredible insight with us today. Thank you so much. Um, why don't you share a little bit about where folks can find more about what you do on online on the interwebs? Um, and I'll put it all in the show notes. Yeah, great. No, you can find me at tinajoseph.com. And um, yeah, I really like to work with you know, these um, really successful uh, businesses that are growing so fast that they know they're ready to get to the next level and hire that leadership team, get those structures in place. And what I like to offer, because I find it works really well, is what I call a fractional chief of staff model. It's a fractional executive model is basically where companies are kind of positioned to get to the next level, but they don't necessarily and they can't necessarily afford a whole executive team behind them. So when you hire me, you get a bucket of hours and I really help you figure out what the major pieces are in your organization to set you up to grow, right? So um, all of the things that we've talked about that you know those business owners and leaders are just kind of struggling with day to day, I get you out of the weeds in that and I kind of step in, become the person on your right-hand side that helps you figure all that out for those set hours. So that's the model that I find works best. You don't have time for courses like, you know, and spending hours going through different webinars and boot camps and trying to figure it out. So I just bring it in to your office and help you set all that up. Yeah. And it's un unique to every business. So, you know, it makes, makes a lot of sense. 
that way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so I do have a leadership assessment that I'll give you to put in the show notes. So they can actually, you can actually take that assessment and just see where you are in the scalability model. Yeah. And it'll highlight different areas so that when we do have a conversation, you know, we already have a starting point on where to set you up for success. Fantastic. Thank you, Tina, so much. Thanks again for joining us. Um, I hope this is helpful to you all as you build your boutique fitness studio businesses. Um, If you're loving what you're hearing, I would really, really appreciate it if you could take a quick minute, go to wherever you're listening to this and rate and review this podcast. It will mean a ton to me and will help to get this podcast out into our incredible communities that more teachers and business owners just like you can feel encouraged and supported in our industry. Did you love this episode and want more? Head to spring3.com and check out my free resources that will help you run a profitable and fulfilling studio business. And before you go, one last reminder, there is no one way to do what you do, only your way. So whatever it is that you want to do, create or offer, you've got this. Thanks again for joining me today and have a wonderful rest of your day. Mm